Our text today is Matthew chapter 7, and it's verses 21 to 23. If you are able, I'd encourage you to stand with me, please, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word. And let's listen to these words from Jesus. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, King of all, ruler of your kingdom, Lord, I pray that these words you spoke 2,000 years ago and you still declare by your Spirit today will grip our hearts. They were challenging, overwhelming words then. They are today, Lord Jesus. Help us to hear your voice. Help me, my strength and my Redeemer, to be a part of your voice today, to share this message. And Lord, may the purpose for which you said these statements of warning accomplish your purpose today in tearing away deception and deceit and false hope. but lead to an absolute hope and confidence in you, the Savior of all who come to you by faith. Send out your light and your truth, King Jesus, and accomplish your purpose in this hour. I ask in your name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Many of you are familiar with the well-known British writer, teacher, philosopher, C.S. Lewis. He lived a generation or so ago. He's famous to most today, I think, through his Chronicles of Narnia series. But in... One of the stories of Narnia, Mr. Beaver, one of the characters, is talking to Susan about Aslan, the king. And here's what Mr. Beaver says. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall, rather, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Over the years, I've had 
and heard many people say, the teaching, the teaching of Jesus is my religion. Or they might say, you know, my, my religion is, is the, the Sermon on the Mount. And sometimes I wonder, have you ever really read the teachings of Jesus? Have you read the Sermon on the Mount? You see, if we're not careful, as fallen sinful people, we all have a tendency to make God in our image rather than having God make us in His image. Great, notable French philosopher Voltaire, who lived in the 1700s in France, an infidel, atheist, hater of Christianity, made this statement one time. He said, God made man in his own image, and then man returned the favor. And many times, if we are not careful, this is what religion does. It actually makes God in man's image. And God just becomes somewhat of a glorified human being. Just a little better than us, but still defined by us. My friend, King Jesus defines himself. No one defines the king of glory. He has said in this Sermon on the Mount seven times, it has been said, but I say to you. It has been said by religion and religious leaders. It has been said this, but I say to you. And in this Sermon on the Mount, he makes himself the great Moses, the lawgiver who's come down with the law of the kingdom. And he speaks as a king. And then, as astounding, we cannot imagine how astounding, this rabbi sitting on the hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee speaking to the thousands who are listening to him in that, national, that natural amphitheater, he actually says that people on the judgment day will answer to him. Imagine that. Who can ever question if Jesus declared himself to be God because he said, all judgment has been given to the Son, and everybody will stand before me on that day. This King, the sweet and lowly Lord Jesus, and He said, Come to me because I am meek, humble of heart. You will find rest for your souls. This same Jesus who said that said, what we just read. He made this declaration. And he made a declaration that he will be the one, the king who gives judgment on the judgment day. And Jesus warns, don't be unprepared for that day. What's Jesus been saying here as he concludes his Sermon on the Mount? He's been talking about false paths. There's a broad path that leads to destruction. There's a narrow path that leads to life. He's been talking about false prophets. People who appear to be servants of God. Appear to be sheep but they are really wolves in sheep's clothing. Beware of them, Jesus said. Beware of false paths. Beware of false 
prophets, but now he becomes absolutely personal. And Jesus says and warns, beware that you trust in a false profession. A false profession. What we have just read this morning to me are the scariest words of Jesus Christ. And that's the title for what I'd like to share for it with you. They are the scariest words of Jesus. Now listen, let us begin here. Jesus did not share this to cause people to doubt salvation. Jesus shared these words to warn people about a false religious hope that is not a faith that saves their souls. Jesus shared these words for us to examine ourselves. Jesus shared these words in love. He speaks in love so that we might prepare ourselves now for our final exams. Because we will all have a final exam. And the one before whom we will give an answer will be the great king, Aslan, Jesus. And we will be examined. We need to prepare for that final exam. Make sure we are prepared. And so Jesus, to that crowd that day, and for all time, shares these words. Not to cause doubt, but to make sure that we examine ourselves, that we are not deceived by a religion that has not saved our souls and brought us into the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus talks about this final exam. And so here's what I'd like us to notice about what Jesus said about this final examination. King Jesus says that on that day, he will expose tragic deception. King Jesus says on that day, he will dis dis expose, for what it really is, he will expose tragic deception. Many people live with a confidence about their spiritual condition. And yet at the judgment, many will find that they have deceived themselves with a false confidence. Jesus said, notice, there will be many. Do you see that word? There will be many who have been religious, but they have been religiously deceived. Now, notice Jesus mentions three types of deception. Three types of deception. And it's the worst kind of deception because it's self-deception. But he says, do not be deceived. Beware of these three deceptions. He says, beware of false profession. Beware of false profession. Jesus said in verse 21 of our Bible, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now notice, not everyone who calls him Lord, not everyone who makes a profession, that profession is genuine and real. Now notice, the profession here is orthodox. The, the profession of this person to Jesus is to call him Lord. The, the bedrock statement of our faith is this, Jesus Christ is Lord. Here they call him Lord. They have an orthodox profession. And it's not just orthodox, it's fervent. Lord, Lord. Lord, Lord. It's orthodox. He's Lord. It's fervent, Lord, Lord, but it's false. You see, friend, listen carefully what I'm about to say. 
No one enters into the kingdom of God who does not confess Jesus Christ as Lord. But not everyone who says Jesus is Lord is going into the kingdom. There are some who use the language, but it's not the reality of their heart. It can be language that is orthodox, fervent, but it's false because it's not genuine. And at the judgment, the deception of false professions will be revealed. And also, he says, there'll be there not just those making false professions, but they'll be making false proclamations. <laughs> false proclamations. Look, look at verse 22. The Bible says, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? That is, didn't we speak for you? Didn't we proclaim for you, preach for you, teach for you? But it'll be false. They they have an, an evangelical faith. They, they believe that Jesus is Lord, but they don't know him really as Lord. Remember what James, Jesus' half-brother, said. You remember James? The book that bears his name in the New Testament. He says to a hypothetical person who says, well, I have, I believe in God. And James says, well, good for you. The demons also believe and tremble. Some demons have more faith than people who go to church. There are people who go to church, but they never tremble at the majesty and awesomeness of holy God. And the demons have a greater clarity. The demons profess a faith, if you would, a belief in God. They know He's God. They know He is the Son of God. But they're not followers of the Son of God. Jesus is clear, clear, just like James later on was clear. There is a faith but it is a faith that does not save. It's a belief, but it's not a faith that saves the soul. It is a false faith, and Jesus warns us about it. The apostles warn us about it. And Jesus will reveal at the judgment that there are those who have made false professions They've, they have been involved in false proclamations about him, but also they even had false powers. They, they, he's talking about people who, who really had some power on their life. Look at verse 22. He said, there will be many who will say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many mighty works in your name? A man may or a woman may in the name of Christ do Good and even impactful things. And yet not know Christ in saving grace. You say, well, how's that possible? Well, who's the great example of this? Judas. Jesus sent out the twelve. And he gave them authority over sicknesses and devils. Including Judas. And Judas, in the name of Jesus, was able to perform miracles like others of the disciples. But 
his heart was not right with Christ, didn't love Christ. It was a selfish desire in him. Say, how is that possible? Well, friends, people do good things, but that does not make them followers of Jesus. You may come home to your house and it's a a burst with flames shooting out the top. Maybe your little children are inside or your grandchildren. And to your incredible relief, a, a first responder bursts through, runs into the flames, brings your child, your grandchild out. That's a wonderful, remarkable thing. But that doesn't mean that that first responder is necessarily a righteous person, follower of Jesus. My friend, we have to understand something. God can accomplish great things through people who are not truly following him personally from their heart. The Bible is full of illustrations of this. You see, Jesus said it's a broad road that leads to destruction. And that broad road is right through. Listen, listen to me, brothers and sisters. That broad road that leads to destruction can lead right through a church. It can lead right through Sunday school classes. Right through small groups. It can lead right through pulpits. But it's a broad road because it's not a sincere faith. It's not a true salvation. I remember reading an article some time ago in USA Today newspaper, and it was a study done of the faith of America. And George Barna noted Studier of belief systems, faith systems, determined that consistently 45% of people in America are comfortable using the name born again to describe them. 45%. But then Barna decided to do something else. He said, okay. Let me ask a subset of questions to that 45%. So he asked a subset of questions. Do you believe that there's one God? Do you believe in the Trinity? Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God, born of the Virgin? Do you believe the Bible is the Word of God? Do you believe Jesus is the one way to salvation? Do you believe in a literal heaven? Do you believe in a literal hell? After those subset questions were asked, 9% of the population of our country held to a biblical worldview. That 45% that said, yeah, I'm born again, goes down to 9% who actually don't hold to the fundamental teachings of the faith. Here's what you have to understand, brothers and sisters. Jesus here is not talking about the 45%. He's talking about folks in the 9%. They have a biblical worldview. But my friend, listen, a biblical worldview does not necessarily save your soul. Well, can we know? You say, Sam, listen, whoa. Can, buddy, can you turn the corner here? Do you mean that, are you saying that we can't know until that day? Absolutely not. My friend, the Bible says that Jesus came that we might know that we have eternal life. John, who wrote the Gospel of John, said these things are written that you might believe in the name of the Son of God and have faith in Him and be saved. 
God doesn't want us to have a hope so, I think so. He wants us to have a no-so salvation. But he wants to make sure that we examine our faith to make sure it is genuine faith. Jesus examines, he examines their hearts in the judgment. And Jesus says in this examination which is coming, King Jesus will examine trustworthy evidence. What's the trustworthy evidence? What's the evidence that will demonstrate on the judgment day that a person is a believer? But it doesn't have to wait till the judgment day. What is it that demonstrates now that a person is on the straight road that leads to eternal life? Well, Jesus says this, the absolute trustworthy evidence is the fruit of our lives. The fruit of our lives. Last week, if you were here, and there were two tremendous messages on this passage, both here and also in the hub. And I can say they were tremendous. I didn't preach them, okay? That's the only way they could have been better if I had preached them. But look at, if you look back, what Jesus just said, he said, how do you know who the false prophets are? How do you know who they are? Seven times in verses 15 to 20, he says, you will know them by their what? Fruit. By the fruit of their lives. You will know, not by the sound of the words, not by the size of the crowd, not by the incredible expression of signs and wonders, you will know that they really are my prophets by the fruit of their lives. What is that fruit? Listen carefully, church. What is the fruit of a life of a person who loves and follows Jesus? It's very simple. It's obedience. Obedience. Jesus said, by this All men will know you are my disciples if you have love one for another. But then Jesus said, who is the one who loves me? The one who loves me is the one who keeps my commandments. At the judgment, Jesus said, false faith will be revealed irrefutably on the issue of obedience. True faith or false faith is revealed on the basis of obedience. Notice what Jesus said. Listen to Jesus' words carefully. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will come into the kingdom of heaven. Well, who's coming in? Yes, the people who call him Lord and trust him as Lord. Yes, but they prove that he is Lord The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord. But those who truly trust me as Lord, show it by doing the will of my Father. Genuine faith produces active obedience. Let me say that again. Genuine faith produces active obedience. The Apostle John, 60 years later, after Jesus' words, said this. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. John said, By this we know that we have come to know Him 
if we are keeping his commandments. And that's the actual tense. By this, we are knowing that we have come to know him if we are keeping his commandments. That's the trustworthy evidence. That's the basis of the assurance. What's the basis of the insurance? Listen to me, church. Listen carefully. The basis of assurance is not going back to an experience that you had. It's not whether you walked an aisle or you prayed a certain prayer. And understand me, hundreds over the years have walked these aisles. Hundreds have prayed and received Christ. There's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely not. But if you are trusting the fact that you once prayed a prayer, if you're trusting the fact that you once walked forward in a service, if you're trusting in the fact that you got baptized, but you do not actively follow Jesus, something is seriously wrong with your faith. You need to understand that. Jesus did not save us from our sins to fail at it. Jesus is not a failure. He is a savior. He came to save us from our sins. Are we perfect? No. Do we all sin? Of course we sin. John said that. If any man says he has no sin, he's what? A liar. But it's one thing. To struggle with sin, it's another thing to go on actively living a life characterized by sinning and saying, you have truly come to know Jesus. That's what the Lord is talking about. You're not saved because of your obedience. You become obedient because you've been saved. We are not saved by faith plus our works. No. But my friend, we're not saved by a faith that doesn't work. And if your faith has never worked, get rid of it. And call out to God in repentance and ask Him to give you a new heart. That you want to be born again by Jesus. No one who comes to him desiring to be born again goes away and says, well, we'll see if that works out. Why? Because it's the power of God in your life. You've become a new creation. You're not perfect. There's no perfection in your life, but there's a direction. You know, I have people come to me and they'll talk to me. And this has happened so many times. And I do. I'll be honest with you. I set them up just a little because I feel like I get a sense of their heart. And I think it's a sincere heart. And they'll start talking to me about their failures, their failures, their failures. And I'll say, okay, it sounds to me like you're saying that you you take three steps forward, two steps back. And you take three steps forward and two steps back. And they'll say, Pastor, that's exactly right. And I say, praise God. And they look at me like, you, are, you really are crazy. You're crazy in private, just like you are in public. And, and I, I said, what, what? I said, you're making progress. You can go out here on Middlebrook Pike, take three steps forward, two steps back. You can walk around the world. That's going forward. That's what the upward call is in Christ. Not perfection. We fall down, but we get up and we follow Jesus. We we mess up and he comes to us and he, he calls us back. And we follow him again. And we're stumbling, but we're stumbling towards Zion. I love that song. The old song, We're Marching to Zion. But honestly, hey, we're stumbling to Zion. 
We're, we're a parade stumbling along. But towards Zion, I, I just want to ask you, which way is your head pointed? The ultimate meaning of being a Christian is this. Listen, do you understand what it means to be a Christian? Jesus said, follow me. If you don't follow him, you're not a Christian. Christians follow Jesus. Not perfectly. But we're like Peter. Lord, where can I go? You have the words of eternal life. It's his love that will not let us go. Active obedience. And some folks will stand who had an orthodox faith, a fervent Lord, Lord. They, they believe the teachings. But they never followed Jesus in loving devotion. And here's what Jesus said will happen. Verse 23. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers, practicers of lawlessness. They say, we knew you. Don't you remember us? I, I, I knew you. Jesus says, no, I, I was aware of you. And you were aware of me. But we never knew each other. We never knew each other. First John, again, the apostle of love. This is, this is Jesus speaking, the most loving person who ever lived. And John, who, his follower, who's the apostle of love, said this. 1 John 2, 4. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Friends, listen, the evidence of your faith is the evidence seen in your character of your life. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Not perfect love, but there's love. Amen. Not perfect joy, but there's joy. Not perfect peace all the time, but there's peace. Not perfect gentleness, but there's gentleness. And there's kindness. And there's goodness. There's self-control. Does that describe you? See, Jesus said, these are the people who enter the kingdom. Those who are what? Poor in spirit. You remember how he started the sermon? Those who mourn over their sins. Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. You see, when you want Jesus more than anything else in life, you'll find him. But if you want to tack Jesus onto your career path, let him give a little gas to it. Or, or you've got ideas of what you want to do and you don't want to quite be a heathen, you do, so you'll have some Jesus sprinkled on you. That's not what hungering and thirsting for righteousness is. The king will expose tragic deceptions. He will examine the trustworthy evidence, which is obedience. And then, for those who have deceived themselves, he will express a terrible verdict. Verse 23, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You can't come in. You can't stay here because you're not one of mine. 
You showed that because your path was not my path. Your desire wasn't my desire. Your allegiance was to yourself, not to me. I never knew you. Depart. We never had a real relationship that was intimate, that was based on love and demonstrated by your faithfulness to me. I never knew you. These people who are told to depart into darkness, everlasting destruction, they had never had a lasting, loyal, love relationship with Jesus. A lasting, loyal, love relationship with Jesus. You know, folks, listen. There are many who will miss heaven, and they will miss heaven by 18 inches. The distance from your head to your heart Know the facts. Know the accurate doctrine. Know about Jesus, but don't love Jesus. What should we do as we come... Now, the Bible says we need to examine ourselves. And you, I don't, I want you to leave here. I, I, I have so prayed about this message and struggled maybe as I've never struggled in perhaps ever, but especially in recent years. This is a hard word, I know. But how could I say that I love you if I don't tell you the truth? How could I endure that you would stand before Jesus and hear these words someday if I did not warn you? What's the difference between a fake faith and a genuine faith? And this will seal it in your heart. Let's bring it all together. A fake faith is self-focused. What do these people say individually? I, I, I. They're saying the same thing before Jesus at the judgment that they said all through life. I, I, I. Self-focused. What is genuine faith? It's Christ-focused. He has become the bright and morning star to your soul. He has become lovely and precious. He is your compass. Your life is focused on Him. That's genuine faith. False faith is self-righteous. Do you hear what they say? We, we did great works. We prophesied. We, we, we did these wonders. We did that. I, I did that. That's self-righteousness. What is saving faith? Genuine faith is Christ-righteousness. I am a sinner. And Jesus is a wonderful Savior. And He has granted me a righteousness, not my own. My hope is not in what I will do to earn salvation. My hope is in a person who earned it for me. Jesus Christ. 
a Christ righteousness. And a false faith is a self-deceived, self-deceived. There's not a practice of obedience. There's not a loving, loyal relationship with Christ. It's self-deceived. What is a genuine faith? It's Christ-dependent. People are dependent on Christ. You ask them their hope. They don't tell you, I've done this, I've done that. You ask them their hope. They don't tell you, well, I've been here. I learned this. They'll tell you, I am dependent totally on Jesus Christ. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's a Christ-dependent faith. Other than marriage situations, the second most discussed topic that I ever have had with people is the assurance of salvation. People coming, wanting the assurance of their salvation. And thank God there is a salvation we can be assured of. But here's what I asked them. And many of them. They couldn't even explain. Maybe it's the way they were raised. Maybe it's a, a legalistic background or a, a parent who was just always fault finding and, it, and their mind is just wired around defeat and they, they don't even understand love, unconditional love especially. And so they struggle and they don't see in themselves what they feel like they should see in others. And they measure themselves by people who've walked with God for years and they don't seem to have that. And Sam, I just don't know if I'm saved. And here's what I say to him every time. So I'm saying it to you by the hundreds. I say, I want to ask you a question. If you were to stand before God today, Bible doesn't say this happens, but I want to ask you, if you were to stand before God today and he were to say, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say to him? And then you know what I do? I shut up and listen. Because they may not quote scripture. They may not say exactly what I would say or the way I say it. But here's what I listen for. If they start saying, well, I, Sam, I would tell him I did this. I did that. I tried to be a good person. I, I went to church. I, 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 I did my best. Then I'm really concerned about them. And I tell them, I'm very concerned that you don't know him. But if that dear person stumbles and stambers and says, Sam, all I could say to him was, Jesus, Jesus died for me. He, he, he died on the cross and he rose again. And you said, if I come to him, he would save me. I don't know what else to say, God. I just say that. And I would tell them, praise God. You've just said exactly what it means to confess in and believe in Jesus. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. I am a great sinner, but Jesus is a greater Savior than I am a sinner. And I'm hoping only in Him. A person does not say that who has not been enlightened by the Spirit of God Amen. to Jesus Christ. And friend, I want to tell you, if your hope is only in Christ Jesus the Lord and you desire to love Him and serve Him and you hate it when you fall short, but you come back and He gets you and you keep struggling on, but your only hope of seeing Him is Him Himself. <laughs> That is saving faith. But my friend, you listen to me. 
You keep talking about what you did back so-and-so. You keep talking about your aunt that prayed with you. You keep talking about when you walked that aisle. You keep talking about that experience you had. But you don't have a loving heart to follow Jesus. And when you have opportunity to express your hope of heaven, you talk about yourself. You don't talk about Jesus. You need to let go of that self-righteousness. And you need to run to Jesus right now. Now. Let's bow our heads. My dear friend, right now, I beg you, flee to Jesus. Call upon him now. Confess him now. Rest in him now. And trust not in yourself for a moment, but cast yourself on Jesus. Believe on him. Have faith. F-A-I-T-H. Forsaking all, I trust him. Have faith in Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. Thank God.